Electricast. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Do you know who or how you need to be in order to do the things necessary to have the things you want? I'm going to share the be, do, have model in this episode that also gives an opportunity to look at a trust-based partnership that builds on people's strengths while compensating for any weaknesses. Let's, Let's get right into it. It's the third episode of the third season of Deep Space Nine. The Dude, House of Quark. Be another customer. It's closing time at Quark's Bar. Well, not so much. It's actually prime drinking time, but no one's there except a super drunk Klingon who's getting angry because he wants to run a tab, and that's a no-no for Quark. He gets mad, tries to stab Quark, and lands on his own knife bleeding out all over the bar floor. Where some see tragedy, though, Quark sees opportunity. I wish we could put him on display. People are crowding around the bar during the investigation and are dying to get in. He convinces his brother, Rom, that they should tell people that Quark killed the Klingon in self-defense. My brother fought a desperate hand-to-hand battle with the Klingon and was forced to kill in self-defense. Quark plays it up, and the crowd is eating out of his hand. Miles O'Brien and his wife, Keiko, are struggling. Keiko closed the school that she's been running because all the Bajoran students, well, they've left the station. She's really upset, and O'Brien's lost. He, He just wants to help his wife. Odo, back in the bar, the head of security, he shares the results of his investigation with Quark. He killed a Klingon named Kozak, the head of a rather powerful Klingon house and family. Rom tries to talk Quark out of saying that he killed Kozak. Nothing nothing good can possibly come from this. Quark is buying into his own hype. I'm Quark, slayer of Klingons. But he's not totally delusional. He absolutely has a backup plan. I'll stand up, look them straight in the eye, 
and offer them a bribe. Almost immediately afterwards, he's attacked in the hallway. You killed my brother. Uh. All Gore, the brother, wants to hear is that Kozak died in honorable death as a warrior in personal combat. So Quark leans into the story he's been telling, and Gore's satisfied, saying that this will bring the house much more honor. I love honor! I demand honor! O'Brien's trying everything that he knows to help Keiko feel better. It's I'm married to the most wonderful woman in the galaxy day. She's appreciative, but as he heads off to work, she settles back in. I'll be here. And crumples onto the couch. Quark's counting the receipts for the day when a Klingon, Grilka, Kozak's wife, comes into the bar. She wants to know that he died with honor as well and then attacks him. He cowers behind the bar and she calls him on his BS. So he finally, finally tells the truth. She grabs him and beams him away. He wakes up on Kronos, the Klingon homeworld in Kozak's home. Quark finds himself caught up in Klingon culture and, and he doesn't understand. See, Degore, he learns, isn't really Kozak's brother. He leads a rival house. If Kozak had died an honorable death with no heir to the house, the house will fall apart for rivals to pick up and tear apart. Had he died in an accident, the house would have been able to appeal to the Klingon High Council for a special dispensation. That might have allowed Grilka to become head of the family. Grilka throws a fur robe onto Quark, grabs his hand, and recites know, something in Klingon. Tumek, the house's advisor, tells Quark to repeat the words. Repeat my words. He hesitates, so Grilka threatens to kill him. Let me ask just one. Repeat the words. He repeats, and uh, they're married. Then by the power invested in me, I now pronounce you man and wife. Speaking of marriage, O'Brien comes to ask Cisco for some advice. He wants to give Keiko something to do, some, some purpose. Cisco approves O'Brien's request to build an arboretum. Her training is as a botanist, so he thinks that she'll enjoy taking care of it. Then Cisco shows he's not just a great leader, but straight up an awesome human being as well. If one empty cargo bay makes Keiko happy, then I'm all for it. So O'Brien heads out and gets to work. Bashir, though, Dr. Bashir doesn't think it's going to work. He and O'Brien are really good and eventually, as the series progresses, best friends. But Bashir points out the big flaw in his idea. You can't ask her to turn her profession into a hobby. Agreed. Well, the gore is making claim to the property of Kozak's house. But Grilka interrupts the hearing, introducing Quark as her husband and the new head of the house. Gore challenges this and the council agrees to consider his challenge. But for the time being, the house of Kozak is now, begrudgingly, the house of Quark. Quark and Grilka eventually decide to come together and work together on this. Turns out the house is broke. Kozak mismanaged the money for a really long time. Quark asks to review the books, but Grilka hates the idea. Klingons don't find any honor in accounting, but eventually she agrees to share them with him. He finds that Degore has really backed this house into a corner. He's been systematically attacking your family's assets for over five years now. Grilka says this is dishonorable and thinks that this builds their case to present to the council. They're really working well together. They've got a solid plan, so Quark gets a little overly confident. I really am very grateful for all you've done, Quark. That is why I'm going to let you take your hand off my thigh 
instead of shattering every bone in your body. Well done, Grilka. Well, they make their case to the council, and this, <laughs> this is such an incredible scene. As you can see from the gross adjusted assets tabulation in column J. Accounting is front and center at the Klingon High Council. DeGore tries another tactic and brings in Quark's brother Rom to testify that Kozak died by accident. So despite Quark's work, the house's fate will be decided in the morning by personal combat. DeGore versus Quark. Quark tells Grilka he wants nothing to do with this, and he runs away. Just as the council's about to grant the land and assets to DeGore, the door to the council chambers opens and... I am Quark, son of Keldar, and I have come to answer the challenge of... He stepped up. They grab Batleths, circle each other, staring each other down, neither quite ready to strike. Quark lunges forward and tosses his weapon to the side. He drops to his knees unarmed and tells Degore to kill him. No honor, no glory. Degore goes to strike, but Gowron, the Chancellor of the High Council, stops him and says, You have no honor and is kicked out of the hall. The council turns their backs on him, and he is forcibly removed. They award the house to Grilka. All is good. Grilka's very thankful. And Quark? Quark is done with all of this. How can I repay you? I would like a divorce, please. No offense. She's more than happy to grant his wish, so he and Rom head back to DS9. O'Brien has been thinking about how he can best support Keiko. He's made a tough decision. There's an agrobiology expedition leading for the Janitsa Mountains of Bajor in two weeks. They need a chief botanist, and he wants her to apply. It'll be a six-month job. Like She'll be gone for six months. She can take their daughter, Molly, along with her. They talk it through. It's really hard for both of them, but Miles just wants her to be happy. The episode ends with Rom consoling Quark. Quark is having a hard time. Business is down again at the bar. Respect is good, but Latinum's better. But Rom doesn't give up. He understands there's more to life than just money. He asks Quark to tell the story again, but, but he doesn't see the profit in it. <laughs> but it's not about that at all. Tell me. I want to hear it again. This is such a fun episode that absolutely works. And why? Why does it work? Well, we got two words for ya! Armin Shimmerman. He was all over this thing and was awesome. It was a lot of fun to see him surrounded by Klingons, basically, <laughs> basically reading from a spreadsheet. A great example of how Star Trek can kind of poke fun of itself and come through with a great episode. Come to Quark's Quark's Fun. Come right now. Go Quark. Run. Hey, Brent, have you ever seen Babylon 5 before? Babylon 5? mean that show from the 90s? Yep. No. You want to watch it for the first time? Let's do it. Babylon 5 for the first time. Not a Star Trek podcast. We are two veteran Star Trek podcasters watching Babylon 5 for the first time. We're searching for Star Trek-like messages in the series and deciding if we should have watched it sooner. You can find us on Good Pods, YouTube, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Babylon 5, for the first time, not a Star Trek podcast. 
I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. We've been so conditioned for so long that the Klingons are serious business. So rigid, obsessed with honor and glory. I mean, when you and I watched TNG Rightful Heir, they were about to plunge into a civil war over just that. It's cool and it's kind of refreshing that they can they can have some fun with that concept. I mean, they literally steal a scene from the Next Generation episode, Sins of the Father, which we, we haven't watched yet on the podcast, but this is where Worf receives his discommendation from the Klingon High Council. But this time, it had a dramatically different feel to it. This episode worked, like I said, because of Armin Shimmerman. People tend to know him from one of two roles. This one, right? Quark, of course. And Principal Snyder from the early seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But he has been in so many things. He was a regular on Boston Legal. He was in a bunch of episodes of that Beauty and Beast, uh, Beauty and the Beast show with Linda Hamilton. Sarah Connor. And he was the Salarian counselor in Mass Effect for, for an even deeper Bioware cut. He voiced Emperor Sun High and a few others in the near masterpiece, Jade Empire. 20 years, Lee. I have waited long enough. I share all of this because it's easy to write him and, and all the Ferengi off as, as, as comic relief. But he's an incredible actor. He swings from the lows of a failing business to the highs of being a hero. He tells captivating stories that, that even pull the viewer in. Absolutely excellent. And this episode would have been a shadow of what it is if not for him. I didn't really care for the O'Brien marital issues storyline. I mean, I get that the character Keiko couldn't teach anymore. And we'll, we'll talk about that why in a future episode or a couple episodes, actually the podcast, but the rest of this was meant to give Rosalind Chow, the actor more time away from the show. Plus, the writers the writers wanted Miles and Bashir to develop their bromance more, and that was kind of weird to do with the relationship dynamics of having the wife around. Still, I really think that they could have done this in a way that didn't leave Miles looking, looking like a moron. The low point of this, outside of what I'll talk about in the command codes, was when he met with Cisco. Let me ask you this. If you have the option of talking to a widower that had one amazing marriage or a person that had been married and divorced and widowed and everything in between, like nearly eight times from both the husband and the wife roles, who are you going to listen to? Wife problems, chief. Dax has literally done it all. Now, Cisco is super supportive and awesome, but he doesn't provide any insights at all. And in fact, Bashir provides more valuable to Miles than Cisco does. Do you think Dax would have let him run with that Arboretum idea? <laughs> no way. No, no, mm -mm. Mm -mm. no, 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 hell no, 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 I refuse, no, no. No, she would have challenged him, shared points of view he couldn't imagine and gotten him a lot closer to a happy ending. Last thing on that story, when he declares it's you're an awesome wife day, he says, I marked it in your calendar. <laughs> oh, it's so romantic, Miles. Well done. So, so my partner and I, uh, we have a shared calendar and I use it without fail. I think that she's looked at it. I don't know, maybe twice <laughs> ever. Like I get you, O'Brien. I really do. 
But you should know by now that that's not probably going to fly. Luckily, that whole story takes up, I don't know, like eight minutes of the whole episode. The rest of the show is a master class from Armin Shimmerman in a really fun Ferengi and Klingon story. Command codes verified. Be, do, have. This is a wildly powerful model that, depending on how you apply it, will literally make or break you. The O'Brien storyline gives us a great opportunity to look at this concept. I'm also going to talk about how to build a partnership rooted in trust that complements each other's strengths and compensates for weaknesses based on Quark and Grilka's productive and well, unique partnership. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support the ongoing production of this podcast. Grilka and Quark each have a problem. And Quark's got a lot bigger once Grilka came on the scene. For her, everything is on the line. Her house, her family, her finances, her honor, everything. For Quark, well, if they can't figure out a creative way to solve her problem, well, <laughs> he's going to die. And probably in a very painful way. They come at this problem the way a lot of managers come at a problem. One person dictating what's going to happen. And in this case, that one person doesn't have the knowledge or the skills to even know what they should be doing. Huh. You know, now that I think about it, that's probably still really consistent with the way a lot of managers come at issues, right? Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS reports. She's loud, violent, and is super clear on what she wants. She, she just has no idea how to get there. It takes Quark stepping forward to not only offer his skill set, but to lay down the foundation for trust, too. Back in the episode on Discovery, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad, I talked about a way to shortcut trust. Quark follows that here. Basically, he shares his stake in this whole thing to show he's vulnerable, both psychologically and definitely physically in this case, and that he's totally vested in the outcome. This helps get to a place where they can listen to and hear each other. He specifically does this by sharing his lack of knowledge around Klingon culture, but also highlights his ability to strategize and his financial skill sets. And then he goes for it. Let's try having a more equal partnership, shall we? He tells her exactly how he can help and what that will mean for him. This is attractive to her because as we learn at the end of the episode, things like finances and <laughs> math are apparently not Honorable. A lot of fun for me to play because uh, science and mathematics really weren't my strong points in, uh, in high school. Which, by the way, I find fascinating given the fact they're a warp-capable species and have been involved in all kinds of trade disputes and negotiations through the series. But, but anyway, it's attractive to her because she doesn't have to demean herself or, or any other Klingon in her house by, by poring over spreadsheets and accounting ledgers. The key points in this piece are that Quark reached out to establish trust. He then offered his strengths to compensate for Grilka's weaknesses while she did the same. She and her house helped Quark to understand and navigate the politics of Klingon culture. In the big piece, Grilka allowed all of this to happen. As a manager, when your team is faced with difficult tasks or problems, you can follow this model as well. 
You are basically Grilka, hopefully not nearly as violent, but you have a problem that impacts your team or company and you need it solved. Do not follow her lead of trying to solve the problem yourself and just telling people what to do. First, <laughs> you have no idea how to best solve the problem. And second, no one performs well when they are being told exactly what to do. If you don't eat your meat, you can't have any pudding. Instead, establish trust. Share the problem and your vested interest in seeing it solved. Help the team see and understand their vested interest in seeing it solved. And <laughs> hot take here. If there isn't a way to show them their interest, it probably isn't really a problem at all. It's likely something you or the bureaucracy of your organization made up and is now your problem. If you're spending your team's time solving made-up problems for the sole purpose of appeasing the bureaucracy, <laughs> stop. How much time would you say you spend each week dealing with these TPS reports? Yeah. Okay, back to it. <laughs> Share the vested interests and then help to identify who has what strengths and how they can be applied to solving the problem. Or some next level stuff here, pair people up so their strengths can help train and build skills in others as well. Compensate for weaknesses, for missing skill sets by overlapping and utilizing strengths. The last piece that Grilka does is she gets out of Quark's way. She lets him do his thing. He asks questions as he needs to, and she helps him get to the council, you know, things like that. But she just lets Quark do what he needs to do. You, you need to do this same thing. Once your team knows what's up, get out of the way. Let them do their thing, but be available to answer questions, connect to resources, or, or handle the things that get in their way. At the end of this episode, everyone, everyone got what they wanted. Grilka is leading her house with the gore out of the way. Quark has a cool story he can tell to win customers over at his bar. Everybody wins. And they got there because they worked together. They were so effective in working together, though, because they know who they are. They know their skills and where they don't know things. They both knew how to be exactly who they were. Have you heard of the concept be, do, have. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. When, when I was introduced to this back around 2010, it, it blew my mind. This is a concept that demonstrates who you are or how you tend to be, what you do, and what you have. To play this out, there are generally three ways these come together, and they reflect the categories of people I talked about in the Starfleet Leadership Academy episode on Voyager, Message in a Bottle. Those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who wonder what in the heck just happened. <laughs> That's from a Tommy Lasorda quote, if you want to look it up. Well, a person that wonders what happened is a have-do-be person. If I have a thing, I can do a thing, and then I'll be a thing, right? So if I only had a new MacBook, I could do all the cool things with my YouTube, and then I'd be happy and rich from all that YouTube money. The have-do-be person relies on other people or other things, things outside their control, 
to achieve what they want. I want one. I want a golden goose. Oh, and spoiler alert, this basically never works. Like, that MacBook isn't going to make you a star. Those things outside your control are not going to get you what you want. Then there are the people that watch things happen. They are do, have, be people. If I do a thing, then I'll have a thing and I'll be happy or successful or whatever it is I'm wanting to be. Or if I do, if I do more one-on-one meetings, I'll have the respect of my team and then I'll be a good manager. The plus to this one is that they're at least focusing a little more on what they can do to get what they want, but ultimately they're still relying on something outside of themselves. They're still waiting on having something. Finally, the people that make things happen are generally be, do, have people. If I know how I need to be, I can do the things necessary for me to have what I want. If I am happy and professional, I'll do more or have more effective one-on-one meetings, and then I'll have the respect of my highly functional team. This can be really difficult to wrap your mind around. Another way I think of it is where B is just who you are and how you carry yourself. Atreo has two faces, true self. Do is your job or activity you're doing, while have is the thing you want. I've worked with our state legislature for quite a few years. A former state senator that I sometimes hang out with insists on being called senator, even though it's been like, well, I guess like six or so, six, maybe even eight years since they served. We see this in other positions as well, right? Bill Clinton is still called Mr. President, and Harry Stone from Night Court would still be called Your Honor. But why? I mean, when they're in the position, sure, but that title is what they do. It's not who they are or how they be. One of my huge gripes with this episode of Star Trek is how they handled Keiko. Now, honestly, that could be a statement about her period, right? Her and all of Star Trek. But we're just going to look at this instance here. She's a civilian that was assigned to the Enterprise D as a botanist. She and Miles met, got married, and started a family. When Miles was assigned to Deep Space Nine, she started a school and became a teacher. She's also a musician, a calligrapher, and a loving mother. But apparently... And Keiko's a botanist. Wow. That sure boils her down now, doesn't it? So if we follow the be, do, have model, we can see that she does many things, right? Botanist, teacher, wife, mother, musician, more. Because, because of this, she has professional respect, a loving family, and a lot of cool stories about her experiences. But who is she? Well, with the best of intentions... Miles misses the mark by light years. You're a botanist. That's what you train to do. That's what you love. Be a botanist, Keiko. Dude, <laughs> this, this would be so defeating to me, right? Imagine, okay, this is Star Trek. So imagine she's 127 years old, totally lucid, but lying on her deathbed. Miles, Molly, Yoshi, and her grandchildren are surrounding her in her last moments. And then she peacefully passes away. It's heartbreaking, but a beautiful scene. 
Her son, Yoshi, wipes a tear from his eye and says, Goodbye, Mom. I'll love you forever. You are such an amazing botanist. Like, (laughs) what? (laughs) Seriously? No. No, people would say things like, She was so loving. Or, She helped so many people. Or, The galaxy will be less welcoming because she's no longer in it. These are the things that you are. You're more than your job. I want to say this very explicitly. You are more than your job. I mean, imagine being an awesome project manager, retiring, and then at, I don't know, 68, visiting friends and having them call you a PM. (laughs) It's ludicrous, but it happens. It happens all the time. People assign their self-worth and their identity to what they do, most often (laughs) to their job. And that's just not okay. Like, I did not become a manager because I wanted or planned to. I became a manager. This might sound familiar to some of you, but I became a manager because when I was first offered a position, it paid 50 cents an hour more than what I was doing. Like, that's it. Now, turns out it's, it's kind of my jam. But what if it wasn't? What if, I don't know, like this would never happen to me, but let's just pretend. What if I went to law school and became an attorney, but I hated it? I couldn't leave it because I needed to pay off those student loans, but but now I'm associated with this job that I don't even want. It's heartbreaking, really. If you understand who you really, truly are, who you be, right, then your self-worth and your identity will be wrapped up in you and not some external something. Honestly, how cool would that be for you? So I want to figure out who you are. This is very similar to the personal mission statement exercise from the episode on the animated series, The Lorelei Signal. But in this one, I want you to determine in this order, your be, do, have. Start with what you want to have, right? We do this in reverse order. So you start with what you want to have, then determine what you need to do to get that, and then how you need to be in order to do that thing. Then, and this is literally the most important part, be that way, like be that person. For me, I want to have people that I've helped be more effective as leaders. To have that, I need to connect with people one-on-one and help guide them on their journey. If that's going to happen, I need to be knowledgeable and helpful. Now that means that right away, I need to be a person that is helpful and that people want to have helped them. Once I am that, when I'm being that, then I'll be able to connect with people and help them on their leadership journeys. After doing that for a while, I'll have a group of people that I've helped make more effective as leaders. A fun next step is to ask yourself why you want that thing. Like, why would I want to have a group of people that are more effective leaders, huh? Well, because I want Star Trek. Star Trek shows us that a better future is possible. And I want, oh, I want that future. But to get there, right, it's not a guarantee. It's a possibility. So to get there, we need better leaders. Much better leaders. Well, I want to be a part of creating that future. 
If you feel like you have what it takes to be a leader that can help us get to the idealized world of Star Trek, reach out to me. We'll schedule a call to see if I can help you on your leadership journey. You can contact me through the website, starfleetleadership.academy, which is linked in the show notes, or through social media. I'm on Twitter at SFLA Podcast and, and most everywhere else at Jeff T. Aiken. That's Jeff T. as in the House of Quark, A-K-I-N. Computer, what are we going to watch next time? Working. The 10th episode of the third season of Voyager, Warlord. I think... I think this is the first time we'll have an episode centered around Kess here on the podcast. Well, well, kind of, kind of on Kess. You'll, you'll see what I mean when we get there. But I mostly remember this one because it finally, finally ends the awkward relationship with Neelix and Kess. Ew, seriously? That is so gross. And honestly, that alone makes this one must-see TV. But until then... Ex Astra Scientia. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electricast. Electricast.